And so, gracious God, in these moments, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts and minds together this morning be found pleasing in your sight. Our God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. This passage from John 12 causes me to pause each time I read it. And John's my favourite gospel, so I come across it every so often. It offers all of us, I think, who are endeavouring to follow Jesus, um, a sense of what it means to live the Christian life. Nothing less than the mind of God made plain and the heart of God laid wide open. The event that the writer of John's Gospel is talking about, that unfold around this, is the death of Jesus on the cross. Only a few days after Jesus says the words, when I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all people to myself, he was arrested, he was put on trial, and he was executed. It's in the shadow of the cross that the author of John's Gospel includes the detail that the people who come searching for Jesus were some Greeks. Did you notice that at the beginning of the passage? Not only that, but the person writing this down takes great care to make sure that the person with whom the Greeks went with their request, that we know who that was, it tells us that it was Philip, who of all the disciples has a name of Greek origin, And we know that Philip was from Bethsaida, a predominantly Gentile, which means not Jewish, city in the northeast shore of the Sea of Galilee. To the people in Jerusalem, Bethsaida was a long way away. And so these Greeks that arrive have gone to someone who maybe understands them a bit. They've gone to the one that's most likely to connect with them and their culture and their understanding. A bit like you do when you've got something you want to say. You find your favourite elder and you whisper it in their ear because you think they might get what it is that you're saying. And could it just be that the approach of these people who were outside the religious community at this time inspired Jesus to interpret the meaning of his death and to claim the purpose for which he came into the world was something that he was willing to give his life for When I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all people to myself. Who were these Greeks? Why might they be significant? Well, at the time, the term would have been used to refer to the non-Jewish people of the Roman Empire, influenced by the Greek culture. Greek, in this context, means stranger. Greek means outsider. Greek meant other. It means beyond the covenant. It means outside of the group of people that I need to care about. It means somebody not chosen, somebody heathen, somebody pagan. Greek means not one of us. Some Greeks come searching for Jesus in the context of the shadow of the cross. And Jesus responds, now is the judgment of the world. Now the ruler of this world will be driven out, and I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. Jesus' words make plain God's deep desire and dream for us, God's plan, God's mission, to draw all people, to invite, to welcome, to include all, 
within the embrace of those arms that are stretched out on the hard wood of the cross. As Jesus draws us closer to God, he draws us closer to each other. In Paul's letter to the Ephesian church, he writes that God has now made known to us the mystery of his will as a plan for the fullness of time to gather up all things in him. You see this drawing together, this gathering, this inviting, this welcoming mission of God being carried out over time in the grand sweep of the Bible itself. Once you've seen that framework for all of Scripture that you read, you cannot unsee it. You see it in Isaiah 2, where the prophet speaks of seeing all people and nations flocking to God's holy mountain. You see it in Matthew's Gospel, where it's explicitly pointed out that this thoroughly Jewish family tree of Jesus actually includes Gentile women like Ruth and Rahab. You see it in the story of the Magi, the wise men who came to offer gifts to the newborn Jewish Messiah, even though it was not part of their history and their tribe. You hear it in Matthew 11 when Jesus says, Come to me, all you who are weary and carrying heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. And in John 10, where Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. I know my own, my own know me. I have other sheep that do not belong to this fold. I must bring them also, so that there will be one flock and one shepherd. It's this impulse which then fuels the Great Commission at the end of Matthew's Gospel. Go and make disciples of all nations. And it's at the heart of the day of Pentecost when people from many nations and tribes all share the same spirit and hear the same good news. It's a thread that runs through the whole of the book of Acts, where it's made clear that all people are included in God's plan. It's made bold and explicit in the Apostle Paul's letter to the Galatian church, where in chapter 3 he writes, there is no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free. There is no longer male or female, for all of you are one in Christ Jesus. When I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all people to myself. John's account of the crucifixion includes a moment that we only read in his version of events. Jesus in the final stages of his death and in one of his last acts of consciousness, seeing through the blood, the sweat and the tears, his mother standing at the foot of the cross. Near her is one of the disciples that Jesus is particularly close to. And so summoning what is left of his strength, Jesus speaks to his mum. Woman, here is your son. And then he speaks to this disciple and says, here is your mother. And we're told that from that moment on, this disciple took Mary into their own home as part of their family. In that instant, A new family, a new community came to be. When we draw closer to God, we draw closer to each other. For we are all children of the one God who created us all. And when God draws us closer, the Spirit moves and we experience something of the power of Pentecost. That day where we consider the church as having been born. 
We understand what the Apostle Paul writes to the Corinthian church when he said, if anyone is in Christ, there is a new creation. Everything old has passed away and everything is becoming new. When I am lifted up, I will draw all people to myself. Jesus isn't talking about revival per se. He's talking about a renewed people of God, a new church. I've caught glimpses of this new church at certain times in my life. Perhaps you have too. And at each time, if we look back through church history, which really is a lot more interesting than it sounds, I promise. As you look back through church history, whenever there has been a big new movement of some kind, a great fresh outpouring of the Holy Spirit, it has more often than not, perhaps almost always in fact, been at moments where congregations or groups of Christians have moved beyond the lines and boundaries that the world has drawn and where gifts and skills and blessings are welcomed and encouraged and shared. It's when the church gives itself for the marginalised and the excluded that the Spirit is poured out and something new has begun. It's how the Salvation Army began. It's how the Pentecostal movement began. It is the story through church history over and over, where groups of people gathered together with mutual support and connection with each other enable their community to connect with Christ in new ways. And this doesn't lead to something that's never been seen before necessarily, but instead leads to a rediscovery of the roots of our faith. What those early Christians, at the time that John's Gospel was being written, would have understood it to be about. Now it's not easy to do, especially when the church, across the church, across the world, we might see things differently. You may have heard or read or seen some of that from the Lambeth Conference this week or from conversations going on in other denominations across the UK and beyond. But each of us are not just individuals following Jesus. We're part of something that is bigger. We're told there is one body and one spirit one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in all. Sometimes when we don't see it the same, it's easier to stand further apart. We naturally tend to seek familiarity and companionship with those who think and look and speak like we do. But those outstretched arms of Jesus on the cross are not just reaching out for us or our friends. God's dream doesn't stop at the door of any one congregation or any denomination, country, ethnicity or sexual orientation. Hunger knows no boundaries. Suffering, no creed. Injustice and oppression are everywhere. All pain hurts. We breathe the same air. And as the prophet Malachi says, have we not all one father? Has God not created us all? All of us are sinners. None of us righteous and pure and good enough to have this wonderful connection with God, except because God made it so in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so we all now gather as part of the family called creation. And so that work of ending poverty and repairing our environment 
and helping everyone find life in all its fullness in Christ belongs to each of us. Bishop Michael Curry, who's been at Lambeth this week and author of the book Love is the Way, which lots of us have read this year, and there's not a lot of them in the bookshed, I'm sorry to say, which is usually a good sign. Sometimes when our book group meets and then eight copies get donated, you know it's not a book that's gone down well. In fact, there's one book I think we've had more copies donated than we gave out at book groups. I'm not sure how that's even happened, but it is the only book that we all agreed we didn't like, right? But there's no, I don't think there's any in the bookshed. So it's a good book if you haven't read it. Anyway, not too long ago, he wrote about a time when he went on sabbatical. And he decided, despite not having a musical bone in his body, that the way he should spend his sabbatical is by learning to play the violin. I'm not sure those who live with him were grateful for. But the practice of having to devote a certain amount of time to something each and every day gave him the space and time to step back, to reflect and imagine, and not just have the time wasted. I'm not sure he never says whether he made much progress with the violin, which I think is a clue that he didn't, because if he did, we'd probably hear a lot about it. But that space and time did enable him to reflect on some big questions. What kind of life am I living? What really matters? What do I believe deep in my heart? And in the end, he says, what kept coming back to him were some words that Jesus spoke that we have in Mark chapter 11. My house shall be called a house of prayer for all peoples. When Jesus used those words in Mark 11, he was in fact quoting the prophet Isaiah and a section of the Old Testament which dreams for the day when fasting will be as it should be, and when those who have been excluded will be included, and those who have been cast out will be brought in. When Jesus uses those words, he'd stunned everyone in the temple by overturning the tables of the money changers. Jesus really meant these words. They weren't offered lightly or flippantly. He let them ring out around the temple as he literally turned their life upside down. And so from Isaiah to Jesus to Bishop Michael Curry, we see the truth that God intends for the church to be a house of prayer for all. Fully, truly, equally, completely all. That includes the theologically conservative and the theologically liberal. The politically red and the politically blue and even the politically yellow. It includes people from Africa and Asia and America and Europe. It includes the people who are gay and bisexual and transgendered and straight. It includes the poor and the wealthy. It includes the bishops at their conference in Lambeth and those who are cleaning their rooms and serving their coffee. The insider and the outsider. All. Isaiah said it. Jesus said it. My house shall be called a place of prayer for all the people. When I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all people to myself. That, to me, is God's vision. It's God's vision for the church as the body of Christ, reaching far and wide, like those outstretched arms of Jesus Christ on the cross.